Um, so we're Craig and Vicki Finley, and um, we're from Calvary Fellowship, Mount Lake Terrace, and we've been there for, well, we've been married for 35 plus years, 35 yeah. years? It'll be 36 years in April, so. With no breaks. <coughs> Just right straight through. Not like Rachel and Ross. Hey, okay. I, I thought of this in the bathroom. Oh, um, what? I got a call about probably 15 years ago now. Let's see, 35 years, maybe 20 years ago. Anyway, this this college gal uh, who was in our college group, Gabrielle, Gabriella, Gabriella, Gabrielle, yeah, Pedroza. Uh, she calls me out of the blue and she says, "Craig, this is Gabriella," and I hadn't talked to her for five years. Are you still married? And I went, yeah. She goes, oh, I'm so glad to hear that. Because she'd got, you know, she, like with our, our college group, so many of the people that she knew had gotten married and then had broken up. And, it, and she was getting to the point of cracking, you know, like her faith in, in the institution of marriage. And so it was, it was really neat. And she explained this to me. Because at first it was kind of an odd thing to ask somebody or to be asked by a young lady. And, um, and uh, so it was encouraging to me that I could say yes. And it was relieving to her. And I think, the, um, I think we, need, we as a community need that. We need, we need assurance that you can, you can do it. It can be done. Yeah, so we've been married for 35 years, and we have four grown kids, and they're all married. And then we have, they have given us nine wonderful grandchildren, seven boys and two girls. Um, and um, out of all of the group here, we know three of you couples, which is awesome. That's almost half. That's crazy. I bet you if we talked to you, we'd probably know you or know somebody you know from, of course, since you're from Calvary the Hill. But. And, and I was like, and um, Justin was, I took over the Bible college for a little bit of time. Um, when This was before Jordan came in. I, th- I can't remember when it was. It was at its lowest point, anyway. Or I had brought it to its lowest point. I was like, I was like you know, they put me in because nobody else wanted to do it. And I had this class where, you know, it was like everybody was experimenting with teaching and practicing teaching. And Justin, the first time I met him, the first day, I said, okay, everybody, let's share a little bit on this passage. And then they went through, and then Justin goes, and he shares. And I went, oh, he smokes. Okay, this guy, they, they, put, they put this professor in my class. Great. This sucks. So I'm thinking, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll at least TA him or help, help me teach a class. Go through. And then, you know, we're kind of talking about people. I said, okay, you... I didn't know. And what's your name, Justin? Okay. Um, so you've done a lot of teaching. He says, that's the first public Bible study I've done. And all of us, our jaws dropped. And so I said, and I said, okay, I don't know. I might be the first person to tell you this. But you have an incredible gift. You really have an extraordinary gift. And I said, you know, I, I just feel privileged to be the first to present to you, you know, you know, like a wedding thing, you know. But, um, yeah, you know, so Justin and I go way back. Um, uh, Nick, you know, and, and they were in my uh, high school group. Once you guys were in my college group, so it's great to be with you guys. But we lost one already. 
Yeah, he got we're bored. Do- we're Dorco. Oh. <laughs> Dor didn't. Dor did the same thing during his high school years. As a matter of fact, he just never came to the youth group. He was just like that. Was a, there was a seat, but no door. There we go. <laughs> so, so I guess we've been asked twice um, if we've been married. The other time um, was when Craig and I. Well, we usually go for uh, walks. We have a dog, and we walk the dog two or three times a week together. And we um, we walk to our neighborhood Starbucks and get coffee and walk back. Anyway, I was we were at Starbucks this one time, and a lady came up to came up to us and said, "Are you guys married?" And we said, "Yeah." And she goes, "Oh, okay. I've been you've been coming in here, and I've been watching you." And I don't know, I guess I just, oh, she goes, I thought maybe you were having an affair. Isn't that awesome? Those are our two qualifications for um, sharing tonight. That we've been married for 35 years, and we were accused of having an affair after. This is like 20 she's not years used of marriage. To see, she, but most of marriage people she know we were weren't doing. talking we were just, to each other. We were just uh. being... We weren't making out or anything. We were just mm. laughing and maybe holding hands. I don't it know. It just looked illicit for some reason. <laughs> But we found out she's a neighbor. She lives right down the street from us, and she's our best friend. Because she thought that about us. And it was just, I, I challenge you all to have that said about you someday when you've been married for so over It's a high years. challenge, so. but you can try to, try to work it. With, with your spouse, spouse. yes, yeah. with your spouse. Yeah. Good point, Tim, Joe. All right, good. All right. Hey, hey, okay, so let's get into this because we want to go to Q&A and the whole thing. Um, you know, um, sometimes Vicky and I wonder about well, when we do things like this, if we do the things like this, that um, it's like, what do we really have to offer? Um, but the, when I talk to people, all, any, anybody who's married, it's so full of struggles. And everybody needs help. And every, I know Vicky and I, when we um, first got married, we went to uh, probably a year in, two years in, went to a love is Seven years. Okay, seven years in, okay. Um, <laughs> Uh, Love is a Decision by Gary Smalley really helped us. You know, um, it was like a little marriage conference. I thought, no, nah, we don't need this. We're pros because we were doing pretty good. I, I felt like we were doing really great. Um, that was one of the things we discovered. All the guys think they're doing really good here, and all the girls think they're do- not doing so good. But, um, you know, just having somebody speak into the topic of marriage, um, especially as people of God's kingdom, is to me just so important. So hopefully this can be encouraging. Um, okay, I want to start off. This uh, I'm the high school pastor of our church. I've been the high school pastor for about four times longer. Well, okay, there. Well, I've been in the high school pastor for about forty years, I believe, or something like that. Um, 30. It's yeah, thirty years. We've all thirty-three. Okay, 30, well, 30, many years. It's so long. It's not worth long counting time. anymore. Long, long time. Long, way long, too long. long. Time. Way too long. Um, and so, just a, sli- a little bit ago. Um, we're, we're talking to a high school group. I had this uh, talk I called the, the Tale of Two Stories. And um, it's about, um, in Ephesians, it was talking about like just how you once were this way, and it's in chapter 2, whatever. You were once were this way, but now this is the way you live, right? And it got me thinking about narrative. You know, and uh, I looked it up today just to make sure. You know, I mean, uh, you know, I'm I'm correct on these these things. Like I, I I call it story, but narrative, a representation of a particular situation, 
or process in such a way as to reflect or conform to an overarching set of aims or values. Okay, that was you know a little dense there, but you can just that's Wikipedia somewhere, so you can you can look, check me on that. An example is like, um, I mean, and when I was saying basically, there is a narrative that's set out for us all around us in our culture, and it's really quite uh, common all over the world. Here's what life is. Here's what success is. Here's what failure is. Here's the aim of it. Here's how it's supposed to go. Um, I'm going to divide that into four things. Uh, so there's a tale of four narratives. I'm not going to touch on them very much, but um, but I th- except for the one. Now, there are movies. I think a good example of this is there are movies that we um, that oh there. Oh. Okay, sorry. We want those boxed up. Okay. Um, there's movies that aren't that aren't what they seem. You ever ex- experience this? Um, you watch a whole movie, and then something happens at the end. That makes you have to think about the whole movie again. Fight Club, right? Fight Club, you go through the whole thing and you realize he's beating himself up. Okay. Spoiler alert, okay. Sixth Sense. Go through the whole thing and you realize he's dead. Okay. Um, so the, the end changes the whole idea of what really just happened. Then there are movies, that I think this is really interesting, that take an abrupt turn in the middle of it that... T- t- has one story and then it radically changes to another one. And, then, and I'm thinking, th- and this is like old stuff. This, you know, you're not familiar with this, and it's probably good. But the Crying Game is um, is a famous. Anybody ever seen that? Anybody ever seen? You know, horrible, f- horrible film. It starts off as a perfectly legitimate IRA, um, you know, um, Irish Republican Army um, uh, war scenes, kind of, uh, you know, underground political movements. And then, it, and then it turns abruptly where Liam Neeson comes to America, and then it turns into a tale of incredible sexual disorientation and nightclubbing. Um, so... Love the first part, and then this moment happens that nobody, it's a miracle that nobody told you this thing was going to happen. It surprised everybody, and then the whole thing was different. Now, I think that is like marriage sometimes, is that it seems one story, and then all of a sudden you get married, and it changes into a radically different story. And I, I'm, I'm thinking that this is actually good, okay? And it's important that you understand the narrative that you're currently in. Now, I think there's the four narratives I would suggest are your dream, your dream or your story, your idea that you grew up of what your marriage and your life would be. That's narr- narrative one. Narrative two would be the dream or the story that your spouse brings into the picture. Completely different story, Okay. Right? Narrative two. The devil's dream for your life. Narrative three. God's plan or God's story for your life. Right? The, the first two, if you were to look them up, they would be under the fictional category. Your dream for your life. Your spouse's dream for your life. Those are fictitious. Those aren't, those aren't real. You've, have you discovered this yet? If not, you will soon discover this. You're in the, you're, if you remember Blockbuster, you're in the wrong section looking for it, okay? Or if you're on Amazon checking out the movies, you're in the wrong section. 
Gotta go, you gotta go to the fiction section to find those dreams. The devil's dream is a horror, fi- horror or, or, or a disappointment. Uh, if there's a section called disappointment genre, um, that's that. And then God's plan, which is an, it, it is an interesting thing. Okay, so in Ephesians 5.32 it says this. Um, it, you know, in Ephesians 5 it talks about the, the roles of the marriage and whatnot, you know. But I'm not gonna read that part. Because at the very end, it struck me as I, I was reading through it just the other day, uh, just in like, reading through the Bible. It says, this mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see to it that she respect her husband. What dawned on me is this, is that he's, he's talking about, as Paul is talking about, you know, how to be a good husband, how to be a good wife. He really is, it's not just that he's kind of turning this around saying, hey, by the way, I'm, this can also be an analogy. I think what he's saying, this is what it appears to me, it struck me, is he's saying even the process of marriage is really about Christ and the church. The narrative, um, okay, so, I, so the narrative isn't so much about you. If we would understand this, that the narrative is larger than our marriage. Our marriage holds a significant place in it. And it's just such that, that God is not, you know, and this has been said in a lot of different ways. I don't know if God's so much concerned about your happiness in marriage as your holiness in marriage. And related to that, your wholeness in marriage. I mean, that's what God's driving toward in, in, in marriage. So, um... It's a, it's a key part of God's story, especially with you, of course. It's a key part of God's story is to bring His kingdom into the world. And part, a big part of that mechanism is your marriage. Um, so, you know, I, I guess what we would encourage you to do is to understand that in God's story, all the struggles that you're experiencing right now are not aberrations to the, to the, the story. They are written in. All the struggle that happens in marriage is not... I mean, if you're living out your, your fictitious dream of what it's supposed to be, yeah, there, it's, this is not going according to the story. But if you're living God's... If you understand God's narrative, this is very much a key part of the story. Is that He would put two people together who love each other in this one way and that are going to be abrasive to each other and and poke holes in each other's sense of of uh, virtue <laughs> um, in a way that nobody else will, or that you that you won't allow. As a matter of fact, God, marriage is God's little trap, beautiful trap, because all of us have pledged stuff like you know we want to be holy, we want to be um, we want to be loving, we want to be. Um, you know, just uh, people of virtue, and then we get together in marriage, and, we, and then we start realizing we are not holy, we are not loving, right? I mean, isn't this what happens? But you're not. You see, that's not that's not a defeat of the story. That's the makings of this story. That's what's supposed to happen in this, because God is using the other person and the and the covenant of marriage. Finally, to get humans into a place where they're willing to, to and they got basically a, an incentive to change. Because you know we won't change, right? We, 
so but so few of us will ever change unless we have to. You know what I mean? <laughs> That's just. Uh, and if, that, if if you're different than that, come and you can sign your name on my iPad afterwards because um, in the because uh, just it just doesn't happen. Okay, so what I would encourage you to do, and we're we're going to hit some other things here, but is to get your story straight. Understand the genre that you're in. Um, and so we can live consistent with God's marriage, uh, God's story, God's narrative. Okay, now imagine you're watching. Uh, Saving Private Ryan. I think everybody's seen that movie. Is that correct? No. Yep. Yep. No. Band of Brothers. Okay. Just imagine you've seen it. Okay. Um, okay. It's a war movie. Okay. They're storming the beach in Normandy, whatever they're doing. It's, it's a war movie. And then all of a sudden, Harry, Harry Potter shows up with Dumbledore. Okay. They're storming the beach of Normandy. And all of a sudden, you know, Harry Potter comes in and he... They wave their wands and, you know, expel a ramus or whatever they say, and then the German guns go flying. You know, it's satisfying in a funny way, but it's not consistent with the genre. You know what I'm saying? Okay. Um, or, you know, again, you know, um, Tom Hanks is, you know, on the beach and they're shooting, people are dying around him, and then Meryl Streep props up and does a song from Mamma Mia. Um, it, it, it's not the right kind of genre, right? The genre that God has... I, I think what we, we try to do is we try to inject the, this fic, fiction into God's narrative, and it creates an odd thing, a dis, distortion. And so, God's narrative has Jesus at the center. His kingdom... Which, you're all, which we're a part of, we're called into his kingdom of light, but we're not at the center. We keep... We, we, in our fic, fiction, we're at the center. But in God's story, Jesus is at the center. And we've got to make sure we stay consistent with that. Um, with, with that. So I, I guess i, I got a couple passages to share with you that, that kind of illustrate this. Um, and I think they're very, they're not your typical marriage passages. But um, this is Romans 12, 1. It says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by, by testing you may discern what the will of God is, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. And I believe that's the kind of thing that's going on in our marriage. We, they may, it may be unwelcome um, that we're having to present ourselves a living sacrifice. Um, we're not being conformed to the world. Conformed to this other narrative that would say, this is what our lives should be about, but be transformed by the renewal of our, our minds. Which is, as we read God's Word and, you know, we're part of a community of faith, we begin to discover the story that God has for us. And I think the good news is that a lot of the things that are going on in our lives are, are actually awesome. The hard things, it doesn't mean the story's screwed up. You're just in a, part, a real, you're an intense part of the story right now. And God is writing a beautiful story. The struggle of is very much a part of this story to make you holy. And you know, it says this is God's will in Thessalonians one 
1 Thessalonians 4, 3. This is God's will that you become holy. And one of the ways we've found in our marriage, and I'd say just the absolute chief way, because a lot of other things I can control to kind of dumb down my expectation of what holiness is, but in this relationship I can't. I can imagine a God who can accept a different brand of holiness, but I can't imagine a Vicky that would. You know what I mean? Because holiness is awesome. It's virtue, it's beauty, it's love, it's all those things. And 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 she is the person that in my life kind of holds my feet to the fire in, in a real good way. Okay. So um, we were talking this morning about um, tonight and what were three things maybe that really saved us and kept us um, loving each other and kept us married. Um, and so the whole idea is that there's something bigger than your marriage has really helped us. We, um, you know, divorce is not an option for us. So the only option is forward. And I say that, um, in all humility, because at one time, um, I didn't want to be married anymore, frankly, um, when we were early and, but, and I felt trapped and I, I thought I didn't love Craig anymore and I loved somebody else and I just, I wanted out and, um, but I knew I could, I had no grounds for divorce. I, I didn't want to ruin his life. I didn't want to ruin the kids. And so the only option was for Craig to die so I could be free to move on with someone else. So I essentially prayed that God would be my hitman. Seriously. <laughs> Thank it God sounds, doesn't This sounds funny, but this prayers. is I mean, this actually you know, true. It, it really is true. Um, because in my narrative, you know, my... Craig would, you know, love me and always make me happy, and it would, it would always be about me, right? And then when when that didn't happen, I got mad. Anyway, so one of the first, so that having something bigger than yourself to go to, which is God and the covenant that you made, can keep you grounded and fighting and and moving forward. So I because um you probably want to hear want to hear about that story, but I did write about it in my book if you're interested. Um But the second thing was forgiveness. Forgiveness. Now um forgiveness is something as Christians we all believe in, right? And we all think it's a great idea. We love forgiveness because it is God's forgiveness that has washed us clean and made it possible for us to become his children. But receiving forgiveness is very different than extending forgiveness to others. Am I right? That's so hard because it means you have to be wronged, right? And being wronged hurts. Um, but there's nothing like unforgiveness or bitterness um, to derail you, to derail your marriage, and to derail the kingdom of God in your life. 
But we are the forgiven people of God, and the scriptures tell us to forgive each other as Christ has forgiven us. And God is so emphatic about this that Jesus said that if we don't forgive others, God will not forgive us. So he's very serious about that. And it's a mystery, I know, but that's what he said. So we must learn to forgive. Um, And not just seven times, but seven times, seven times. And that is where marriage comes in, because marriage provides daily Seven times 70. Seven times 70. Yes. I'm correcting you. Um, So marriage provides... ten times more. ...an awesome and daily opportunity to practice forgiveness. But it's not just forgiving your spouse that... um, or not forgiving your spouse that will derail you. Um, Forgiveness, unforgiveness for anybody is going to creep into your marriage and destroy it. It could be a parent, a friend, um, a boss, or maybe even someone in ministry. Unforgiveness is like a cancer, and it will spread through your life and then on to everybody else around you. And years ago, this happened to me. And so I just want to share a little testimony about forgiveness. And it doesn't have to do with Craig, um, but it does have to do with our marriage. um, Because he had to live with me (laughs) during this period. Um, So... I don't know how many years ago it was, but I had an unfortunate incident with my pastor, Craig's boss. You may know him as Wayne Taylor, pastor of Calvary Fellowship. Let's just let's just use initials. Okay. So p- protect it. W-T? W-T. W-T. The W. Let's W-T. just use okay. initials. Wayne Taylor. Um. <laughs> he. Um, I think he had a bad day, and I happened to be in the wrong place at the wrong time, and. He took it out on me, and he said some critical things about my kids and about my parenting that really hurt my feelings. And I thought he was out of line and that he should apologize, but he didn't see it that way, and he just refused. (laughs) So I was hurt, and my hurt turned to anger, and I hate to confess it, but for the next 10 years or so, I did battle with bitterness. Bitterness against Wayne and bitterness against God, who I felt was just not looking out for me. and Or he wasn't looking out for what was right. And caught in the middle was Craig. Poor Craig, who had to live with hurt and angry Vicky for 10 years. And I'm sure it was like living in a minefield where any misstep might cause an explosion, which it often did. Now, Craig loved me, of course, but he also loved Wayne, and he loved God, and he loved the ministry that God had given him with the youth at our church, and you can can just probably imagine the kind of strain that's put on him and our marriage, and it was a point of contention between the two of us um, a lot, and although Craig never came out and said it, I'm sure he thought that I was just being overly sensitive because he understood Wayne like I didn't. And that I would eventually get over it, but I didn't. And Craig waited and waited and waited, even as he patiently endured me crying a lot and venting to him. Um, But Craig listened without judgment or preaching at me, which I appreciated. But what I really, really wanted was for him to take up my offense and to go give Wayne the what for. 
I wanted him to go and tell Wayne, how dare you treat my wife that way? You know, and I won't stand for this. You apologize or I'm out of here, right? But um, he didn't. Craig's a peacemaker. Um, and when he didn't, I felt that both he now and God were dismissing what I thought were very valid concerns. And I felt like God didn't care and that Craig had chosen Wayne and the relationship that he had with the ministry and the kids over me. And it was a confusing time and it made, um, it made me even more hurt and mad that Craig um, took the stand that he did. And because of it, there were times that I didn't think that I could continue to even go to church and listen to Wayne teach. Because what I really wanted to do was to tell people what had happened and badmouth Wayne to gain people's sympathy and to validate my feelings. But thankfully, I had already seen other people do this by, by the time this had happened. And I had told the Lord, I will... I. I'd seen people, you know, get mad and leave, and I just said, I, I will never do that. I don't want to ever be like that. And then this happened. So it's one thing to know and to agree and to theorize about forgiveness, and then until it happens, right, and someone hurts you. Um, so I knew I needed to forgive, and I did over and over and over again. And I zipped my lip the best I could. I went to church to support Craig, and I battled with my bitterness daily. And it was a rough season. Now, before I tell you what I learned, um, I'll just let you know that obviously I got over it. Um, I was absolutely absolutely miserable, and like I said, bitterness um, and unforgiveness warps your the way you see the world and it warps your heart it, warp, it warps everything and you can't contain it and it eventually spills out onto the people that you love your husband your children and um, for 10 years I was um, you know spilling out without um, maybe even without realizing it and I'm still uh, Dealing with relationships with my kid, with some of my kids, especially um, because I hurt them during that time, because of this unforgiveness, I believe. But eventually, I was so miserable that um, I couldn't take it any longer, and I had an encounter with God like Job, and I had to humble myself and repent. And it was then that God showed me where I'd been in disobedience to a lot of his commands, um, thinking that being wrong somehow exempted me from certain scriptures, other scriptures like honoring and praying for those in authority. That was just one. But as I saw where I had been in error that way, I began doing these things. I began honoring and praying for him and his family, asking God to bless him. I stopped complaining to God about him, and I began thanking him in and for even this circumstance because that was his will for me in Christ Jesus. So with God on the throne now, where he belonged, and me in submission to him, I, I told the Lord, you know what? I know you are in charge of Wayne, not me. 
And again, this is my narrative versus Craig's narrative versus Wayne's narrative. We all have wills that are in competition with God's will. Um, And so I told him, you know what? You're in charge of him. And if you, if it pleases you for me to get an apology one day, then I will trust you that you can make that happen. And if not, then I will trust you with that. And wouldn't you know that as soon as I wanted God's will more than I wanted my own, I wanted God's narrative more than I wanted my own narrative. Um, As soon as I did that, not only did this incident stop causing me distress, but one day, out of the blue, Wayne brought it up and apologized. Now, looking back, I honestly think that God kept him from apologizing until he had dealt dealt thoroughly with me first. So there are just four things that I learned that can apply to forgiveness in your life. I know everybody deals with forgiveness, unforgiveness. There's somebody in your life who has hurt you, and and you're upset about it. Um, But what I learned was that God wants for me more than just to hear, to know, or to agree with his word. He wants me to walk with him in obedience to it. And these were the hard training exercises that he knew I needed in order for that to become a reality in my life. And God knows that I need... God arranged for, for, for that to happen. Because how else do I learn to forgive or to not take into account a wrong suffered, but by being wronged. I have to be wronged in order to extend the same forgiveness to someone else as I have received. It has, so God has to allow it, right? And if I'm to forgive 70 times 7, right, I have to be wrong that many times. God wants us to be as good at forgiveness as he is. How do I learn long-suffering? But by suffering through something for a long time, right? How do I learn to consider it pure joy whenever I face trials of many kinds, but by facing trials of many kinds and choosing to consider it pure joy? Right? So marriage, children, in-laws, all of these things are, are the perf- have been, for me, the perfect spiritual gym to exercise these principles regularly. Okay, number two, I learned that I'm accountable to God for my own thoughts and actions, not for the thoughts and actions of others who hurt me. I'm not responsible for Craig's actions who hurt me. I'm responsible for me, right? So I often see the tendency in all of us, right, to point fingers at someone who has wronged us and their behavior and then turn it around and use it as an excuse for our own wrong behavior in response, And this isn't how God treats us when we wrong him, is it? God loves and continues loving like he's never been wronged. Think about that. And he wants us to be and think and love like that. Number three, God loves us enough to test us, and he tests us often. He tested us just last week because he knew we were going to be up here talking about it, right? Um. We have to be doers and not just hearers and speakers of the word, right? So he allows people to hurt us. He allows Craig to hurt me. He permits the devil to sift us like wheat. Why? He already knows what's in our hearts, but it's often we who don't. 
right? We're completely oblivious at times. Or like Peter, who thought he was ready to go to prison and to death for Jesus. It often takes someone hurting us or a test of some kind to reveal the truth that we're not quite as far along as we thought that we were. And we need, we need practice over and over and over again. And that's okay because God means to use all these lessons and the tests until, just like Peter, we're going to pass with flying colors. It's never going to end, is it? We're not going to arrive one day and say, I'm done, right? And number four, I learned that people can be jerks. Even our spouses and people in leadership even. Right or wrong, it's just the way things are. It's a fact, and it's a fact that includes me. I can be a real jerk, and I can have a bad day and take it out on someone. I can have a bad day or a bad decade, and I did. And I can say and do things that hurt other people. And when that happens, don't I want understanding, and don't I want grace? Of course I do. So it's not my job to make sure that everybody's not being a jerk to me. It's my job to love God with all my heart, all my soul, all my strength, all my mind, and to love my neighbor as myself. And if I'm doing those things, most likely, hopefully, I won't be a jerk, and I will, and I will forgive the jerks that come into my life. Yeah, and the way you're going to be tested most on these things is, of course, your marriage, right? Because you can run away from everybody else. Okay, let's close this up. Okay, just a couple points, right? Because we're, we're all over time. Now, okay, let me just give you a couple real practical pointers, okay? Fighting. Really important. Big part of the story. Exciting. We did a lot of that during that yeah, time. Yeah, yeah. Of course, we everybody does fighting. Yeah. Here's, what we, here's our tips. Number your, our, your fights, categorize them, and number them for quick reference. This is fight number seven. You know, you know how, you know, like, okay, like I'm thinking, what, what's going on here? And then she says, okay, this is fight number seven. Look at my phone. Oh, oh okay, that's right. That's fight number seven. Okay. Don't, that's one. T- second thing. Don't fight and swear in front of your non-Christian neighbors and drive off with your husband halfway out the door of your car. Okay. Third. Fight fair. Okay. And I, I think this, is, this can be very helpful. Fight fair. Develop a list of banned words that you... Sh- that you know, you should sit down and let's do a little bit of homework. What are some words you should, like, trigger words you should never say to each other? Like, we, we put divorce on that thing. Like, we, were, we, would, we would argue and say, what do, you, what do you want, divorce? We decided that that word wouldn't even come into the vocabulary. It was removing the option to quit and to even let it in our language. So we can say something like, oh, guys, that, that guy's a divorce attorney. We can say it that way. We don't have to say that guy's a blank attorney. But... But we just don't say it in this thing. Okay. okay, everybody fights fair. Everybody gets a chance to talk. Okay, now in a relationship, there typically is somebody with more power than the other person. Like Vicky and I, we you know this power struggles. I have power in certain areas. She's got power, but usually the person with the most power has the 